0: Well, today we will conclude our four-week exploration into this account from Luke 4 of Jesus' temptation. I hope that it's been helpful for you. I think that uh, it has been for me, at least. We've talked, probably at least in passing each week, about how this story, especially as it relates to its placement in Luke's Gospel, really represents something of a crux moment, a turning point, springboard even in Jesus' life and his ministry. Prior to chapter 4, where we've been the last three weeks, and now today, Jesus is presented as a newborn, a child, a teenager, and then kind of emerges on the scene as he is baptized by John the Baptist in the Jordan River. I was thinking through Specifically, kind of the uh, underlying blessing that Jesus received within those first three chapters especially. Elizabeth speaks blessing over the baby Jesus while he was still in Mary's womb. And then in Luke 2, which we'll begin here in just a couple of weeks as we celebrate Christmas, the shepherds come. After the angels appear to them and worship Jesus when he was born. And then, as just about a week old baby, he's taken by Mary and Joseph to the temple, and Simeon and Anna, those folk, those kind of mysterious uh, elders who live and work and serve in the temple, offer blessing to the baby Jesus. Fast forward 12 years, and Jesus is in Jerusalem with his parents for the feast of Passover, and they have that unfortunate uh, experience of losing the Messiah for a day or two. And uh, when they go back and retrieve him, the scribes and the Pharisees, I'm probably stretching it a little bit to call it a blessing that they gave him, but they were at least astounded by his ability to understand the law and to begin to teach and even answer questions to them. And then Jesus the adult appears at the Jordan River and John the Baptist declares him the promised one. And then, kind of the climax of this blessing, God himself, the voice of God at least, thunders his audible approval of Jesus as Jesus is raised from the waters of baptism. So blessing, 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 and then wilderness and temptation. And then if we were to continue on in Luke 4, Jesus goes to Nazareth, the synagogue there in Nazareth, and he's immediately rejected. So you you see this arc of Jesus' life in terms of his preparation for public ministry, and then the the very first event being baptism, if if you wanted to to say that, And, and, and then temptation and time alone before he begins to experience the rejection that will ultimately lead all the way back to Jerusalem and the cross. So it's clear that this segment, this passage, is really a turning point in Jesus' life, in Jesus' ministry, and even in the way the wider culture, at least the scribes and the Pharisees, begin to respond to Jesus. So Jesus was hungry after 40 days, obviously, of fasting there in the wilderness. And the devil comes to Jesus and says, If you are the Son of God, then turn these stones into bread. And we talked about how underlying that temptation was the idea that you have to take care of yourself. That God is obviously not taking care of you. Jesus, you're hungry. Turn the stones into bread. And then last week we talked about how Jesus sees in a moment in time the kingdoms under Satan's control and was offered them all in exchange for just a brief moment of worship. Jesus quotes again from Deuteronomy and says to the tempter, you shall love the Lord your God only. So if the first was hunger for food, if that was the first temptation, maybe the second we would look at as hunger for power. And the antidote is to overcome the wrong thinking that the kingdoms of the world are all that exist. So that gets us to the third and final recorded temptation, at least in Luke 4. And we'll do as we've done the last couple of weeks. And the next slide, you'll see red letters. I'll ask you to read those as they represent the words of Jesus and his response to the devil. Beginning in verse 1, though, And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit, In the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by the devil. And he ate nothing during those days. And when they were were ended, he was hungry. And then jumping down to, excuse me, the temptation we'll read today. Verse 9, And he, the enemy, Satan, took Jesus to Jerusalem and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here, for it is written... He will command his angels concerning you to guard you. And on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against the stone. And Jesus answered him. And when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. Within this temptation, the devil displays something of a change in tack. Like the first, if you are this kind of taunt, that that uh, begins the the temptation. He repeats, "If you are," but with a twist. In in this particular temptation the devil taunts and quotes Scripture. The passage that the devil quoted to Jesus is here on the screen from Psalm 91. For he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. On their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. The enemy is tricky. (laughs) We can at least agree on that much. While, While quoting Scripture, rather than asking Jesus to prove it, which he did in the temptation to turn stones into bread, the devil is saying to Jesus, make God prove it. Make God prove his supposed love and care for you. If the first temptation attempted to undermine Jesus' identity, the final one attempts to undermine his confidence in his father's identity. Like the prior two, Jesus doesn't fall for it. Spoiler alert, right? He he doesn't fall for it. He goes back to the story of the Hebrew people yet again, third time. And the portion of scripture that he draws from is their 40 years of testing in the wilderness. Deuteronomy 6. You shall not, Moses says to the people, go after other gods, the gods of the peoples who are around you. For the Lord your God is in your midst, and he is a jealous God. Lest the anger of the Lord your God be kindled against you, and he destroy you from the face of the earth. You shall not put the Lord your God to the test, as you tested him at Massah. Okay. Stick with me here. Within the passage in Luke, we have a story. Let's see if I can do that. There we go. Temptation of Jesus. So we have that story, the third one, the third temptation. Within a story, Moses preaching to the people, preaching, using that term loosely probably, Giving to the people his final instructions before he goes up on the mountain and dies, they are right on the cusp of the promised land. Moses is not going to enter in. Joshua is going to lead the people into the promised land. so he's giving them you know kind of the last will and testament of Moses' life who led them out of Egypt all the way through the through the wilderness, and now they have all that awaits them in the promised land. so there's Jesus' temptation in which he quotes. Moses' teaching to uh, the people of Israel. And within that teaching, Moses references another specific account within the wilderness. So we have a story within a story within a story, I think, or something like that. Moses' account, when he says, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test, as you did at Massah, references Exodus 17. Okay, We're not going to turn there today, but... Right at right before then, and it's hard for me to keep track of all of all that happened in the wilderness for the for the Israelite uh, folk, the Hebrew people. I just kind of jumble it all in my head as they complained, and and God ultimately gave them what they needed. And Moses was frustrated the whole time. Right? <clears throat> you remember the time where they were saying, "We don't have any food." Moses thinks a lot. You brought us out here to die. We could have we could have continued as slaves in Egypt, where at least we. We had food, and God provides the manna and the quail. Well, right after that, they say at Massah, well, great, thanks for the food, but we don't have any water. And Moses strikes a rock. And water, as that picture depicts, the third picture there on the right depicts, God provides water for them from a rock. So Jesus is referencing a very specific account in in the history of the people of God. When God's people put God to the test, okay? When they said, in essence, God, you've said, right? You, you, you've let us out here. Now, now you're just going to let us die. And and, and it, the implication there is, you know, God, uh, God, we don't think you can take care of us. In essence, it's an account in which they repeatedly said to God, prove it. Prove you are who you say you are. There's one thing, one other thing I want you to see from this specific temptation. And specifically, Jesus' response to this temptation as I think it is absolutely key for us, probably as we move forward out of this uh, exploration, and continue to walk as Jesus' disciples. How has Jesus began his response to the first two temptations? The three words written up there with the first bullet point. It is written. Hmm? Well, Satan seems to catch on with temptation number three. He says, you want to play Bible trivia, Jesus? You want to you see you can quote scripture? Well, I can. I can do that too. And within this final temptation... With the quotation from Psalm, Satan uses the same words. It is written. He won't let you strike your foot against a stone. Go ahead, jump off the temple. Jesus responds, not with it is written, but instead, it is said. I think what this demonstrates is the clear difference between the way Jesus and the devil relate to God's word. Let me see if I can explain that a little bit. The devil quotes scripture. The devil knows scripture way better than I do. I would assume maybe better than most of us do. The truth behind responding rightly to and from God's word is much more than just finding the right reference, right? First uh, John 4, 4, uh, uh, greater is he who is in me than he who is in the world, right? Romans eight something. We are more than conquerors, right? We, we, we have a, a rough idea of, of, uh, of, of kind of those key passages maybe, but it's not just that. When it comes to responding to temptation, instead, it is the process of making God's word personal. It's the difference between the word being placed outside of us and that idea of hiding God's word in our heart. How does that continue? Remember that? So that I might not sin against thee. It is an intaking of the word. So the word is within as opposed to the word just being somehow outside of us or able to call to mind. The devil clearly stands outside the words he's quoting. One author has said, the devil believes in God, but he has no God. Hmm? See the distinction? See the difference there? Believes in as opposed to having or serving God. Jesus, on the other hand, stands inside the words that he responds with. And is living inside the story those words reflect. For Jesus, it's not some dry document that he hopes to remember in the moment of testing. Instead, the, the words of God are living and active. You can imagine, I love this thought, you can imagine that as Jesus is responding to the devil, Those very words being spoken, as he says, it is said, are being spoken to him as a member of the Trinitarian community in the very moment of temptation. God speaking the word, the Spirit bringing the word to Jesus, Jesus offering the word in response to the temptation from the devil. For Jesus, it is being said, current tense. From Eugene Peterson, a great author, and uh, the the one who paraphrase or the one who wrote that paraphrase of the Bible called the Message. He wrote this: Reading Scripture is not the same thing as listening to God. To do one. Is not necessarily to do the other, but they are often assumed to be the same thing. The Christian's interest in Scripture has always been in hearing God speak, not in analyzing moral memos. The common practice is to nurture a listening disposition, the involving ear rather than the distancing eye, hoping to become compassionate hearers of the word rather than cool readers of the page. So Jesus, in this moment where his relationship to God the Father is being put to the test, and he is asking to put that relationship to the test, Jesus invokes a truth about his relationship with God. This passage of Satan quoted to Jesus, he quoted verses 11 and 12. He will command his angels concerning you to guard you, to protect you. Jesus, though, saw that passage in its full context. If you go up just two verses higher, verse 9, because you have made the Lord your dwelling place, the Most High, who is my refuge, No evil shall be allowed to befall you. No plague come near your tent. In essence, a person who has made the Lord his dwelling place, he doesn't have to throw himself off of the temple to prove it, does he? It was Jesus' relationship in community with God, the Father, with the Spirit, the Deliverer of the Word, that allowed Jesus to respond the temptation so this passage kind of the windy route we took but i hope one that was helpful for you this passage gives us encouragement to see and believe as we listen to god's voice we are able to walk in obedience even when walking through a test filled wilderness